Father, thank you for the love that you have for us and for the grace that you show us. Thank you for this thing called church, this ragtag group of disciples that are trying to figure it out. But I pray this wouldn't be about us. It would be about you, your kingdom, and shining the light of Christ so that others can know and understand and be healed. So this morning, as we kind of work through your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. And I speak this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So in order for us to understand the gospel or this whole Jesus thing, we've got to kind of start at the beginning. And what I mean by the beginning is the beginning of the Bible. And so I want to look at a few passages first out of the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And it says, in the beginning, this is chapter 1, verse 1, you can't get any more beginning than this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now those are the first two verses of the entire Bible. It's the beginning of the beginning. It's the beginning of creation as, as we know it. God is creating heavens, earth. But we see the earth is, is not looking too good. The earth is kind of portrayed in this negative state by the, the words the author is using. Formless, empty, darkness. These are not feel-good happiness words. You would not want to see these words describing your next vacation destination. And so what he's trying to get at, that things aren't quite the way that God has or is intending them to be. Formless is, has this idea of um, there's a state of confusion over the entire earth. Empty means, well, it means, you know, there's nothing there. It's just kind of a waste. Darkness is not just the absence of light, but it, but it has to do with um, kind of, kind of a, a nothingness, an obscurity. It's just kind of, and then it says the deep, the, the, the um, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and in the Hebrew mindsets, when they talk about oceans, when they talk about the sea, when they talk about the depths of the sea, for them, it, it kind of means that everything's in a state of chaos and there's kind of this violent or dangerous tone. See, and that's, and that's what the author is getting at. Earth, as, as, as it sits in those first two verses, is just a complete state of chaos. Nothing looks like it's going to look. There's, there's all kinds of nothingness going on. But there's one positive thing that, that is there. And, and we see that, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. God is present. God sees. God understands the condition that the earth is in. And he is going to speak into this chaos and this darkness and this formlessness. He's going to speak into it and he's going to start to bring order to it. He's going to bring order to chaos. And, and, and the first steps he takes is this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God speaks. 
words come out of his mouth and he speaks light into the darkness. The first step in ordering chaos is to bring light to it. Light to this idea of formlessness and, and emptiness. Goodness now, because light is a, a symbol of what is good. Goodness is introduced into the chaos. God calls the light day and he calls the darkness night. And as the story continues to unfold, God brings God brings a order to this chaos and he creates and he creates and he's ordering things and, and we got, he, he creates the vault, the sky and, and the land and he begins to separate things and put things in their proper perspective. He tells the land to come up over here and he tells the ocean, you got to stay there, you don't come any farther and he separates. He separates the sky and the earth. He separates light from dark, day from night. He's ordering all of his creation. But what I find very interesting is, on day one, he speaks light. Let there be light. But it's not until, and if you read this story in your Bible, it's not until day four that God actually creates the sun. This thing that will govern our day, and the moon, the, the smaller one that governs our night. See, the light that he speaks on day one is something beyond just the physical sense of I can see. It's, it's beyond that. It's much deeper than that. It's, it's this, this ordering, this goodness, this sacredness that God speaks into this creation. And the whole time he's, he's creating, all these, all these days, these six days, he's like, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm, that's good. That's good. And at the end of it, he kicks back. He's like, feet on the coffee table. That's really good. I think he uses the word very, but I'm paraphrasing. That's very, very good. And then chapter two, as, as the story unfolds, chapter two, we see God in a little, in a little bit of a different light. He's, he becomes, uh, he's portrayed a little differently. He's more intimately involved in his creation. He's not only, he's not out here anymore creating. He's kind of, he's kind of in it. He's kind of interacting with his creation. He becomes a personal God. Now, if you don't know the story, Things don't stay very good for very long. Humanity had a way of kind of messing stuff up. So in chapter two, God tells his boy Adam, he says, listen, man, this garden that I made, it's beautiful. It's all for you. Everything, you just, you just chow down, work the land, just, you know, just take care of it. Except there's this one tree I don't want you to eat the fruit from. See, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and if you eat that fruit, you're gonna die. So don't eat the fruit. Everything else is yours. Take it. Except the one tree. Don't eat the fruit of that one tree. Well, by the time we get to chapter 3, there's this snake. It's the serpent. It's the devil. And he's like, so did God say you can eat all this stuff? And the woman says, well, yeah, he, he did, except that one tree. We can't eat that from that tree. Um, that, that tree he said not to eat the fruit from and don't touch it. Well, that's not what God said. He said, don't eat from it. But she kind of adds in this thing of don't touch it. And what we're gonna understand is that sin in our lives is always a distortion of God's truth. It always begins with the distortion of something that's good and sacred and holy. Well, the story goes, Eve eats, Adam eats. The one thing they were told not to do, they do. If you have children, you understand that very clearly. And after eating this fruit, they now have gained knowledge of good and evil. See, Satan had cast this question in their minds. 
does God really not want you to eat that because you're gonna die or is it because you're gonna be like him and he doesn't want that? See, Satan had tempted them to doubt the goodness of God and they fell for it and they ate the fruit and they gained this this knowledge. And maybe we could say it this way that Adam and Eve lost, they lost their innocence because if you read through that story and, and, and they're there and they're in the garden and they're just having fun and, this, and, and, and actually in Genesis it says and they were naked and they felt no shame and then they eat this fruit from this tree and the first thing they notice, uh-oh, I'm naked and they try to do some fig leaf thing. It reminds me of Naked and Afraid where they're trying to like make some clothes and, 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 and uh, they're hiding from God as God's walking through his creation because they feel this shame. They lost their innocence. They lost this childlike innocence that God had given them at the very beginning. And if you know children, young children have this innocence about them. They don't care who they're naked in front of. There, there is no shame. My son lets me share this story this morning. When he was a young kid, probably two and a half, three years old, our family was at Lake Compounds. And Megan and I, my, my daughter and I, were in the bumper cars. You know, it's kind of a big pavilion. And Sandy's on the side, and she's waving to me, and we're waiting for the ride to start. And she's waving, and her hand's up, and, and I'm like, ah, I can't hear you. And I, I hear, see that she mouths, Ethan has to go to the bathroom. I'm taking him to the bathroom. Okay, that's fine. Well, in the meantime, her trying to get my attention, my young son, who happened to be shameless at the time, had walked just a few steps out of the, the, the oval, and there was a beautiful shrubbery. And so Ethan decides to, to pull his trousers right to his ankles and water this beautiful shrubbery in front of the entire amusement park. Now, I'm sitting there, and, and I'm thinking, I need to tell this guy sitting next to me, you know, some parents just cannot control their children. I mean, this is my, 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 my child. But there's a certain amount of innocence that children have. Adam and Eve have lost, lost that innocence. Innocence is lost when people decide to live outside of God's rhythm and, and the harmony that he, that, he, uh, that he invites us into. And with the loss of that innocence, we are now, we have the ability to feel shame. We have this sense of shame that we carry. God's good creation in that moment is ripped apart by sin. I want to define sin for you because it's very important that we understand sin is anything. Sin is when we take something in this world and make it the most important thing and God becomes second or third or fourth. Sin is elevating something that's created above the creator. And when we do that, all kinds of consequences begin to take place. We start to live outside of the harmony that God has invited us to. And that's what happened in the garden. And so from, from there on in, the fight has begun between good and evil, light and darkness, order and chaos. We, we read through the, the entire Bible. It's, it's this battle that rages. Through the pages of history, we see this thing continually taking place between light and dark, order, chaos, good and evil. Well, at the end of chapter three, God takes some clothes that he's made from an animal and he gives them to Adam and Eve. He dresses them. See, God covers their shame. But that's not the end of the plan. That's not the end of the story. 
See, God is going to remove that shame eventually where we, will, we don't have to be ashamed anymore. But there in that moment, his plan has been set into motion. Now you gotta fast forward like a lot of years, thousands of years, when Jesus walked the earth we have these stories about Jesus, things called the Gospels, and they're historical accounts of what Jesus did and what he said and, and the things that he taught. One of my favorites is the Gospel of John, and I want to look at the first five verses of the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right out of the gate, this gospel, this account of Jesus written thousands of years after the garden, the writer is calling back our attention to in the beginning, calling our attention back to Genesis when God has created, when God released his word and he creates, and God said, and God said, and God said, let there be this, let there be that, let there be the other thing. And the original readers of this would have understood that, and they would have, they would have instantly been brought back to that place of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But how, how it all began with him speaking light into the darkness, and he's bringing order to this chaos. John is referring back to the beginning of Genesis, but he's also talking about a new beginning. He's also talking about this Jesus who now has, has changed everything, and it's a new beginning. And he uses words that are reflective of the Genesis story. The, the word life, as God creates life, animal life, human life, and light and darkness. Just like the first story when God's word created, now again his word will create a new beginning. The word, is, the word is God. The word was with God. Everything came into existence by this word. There's never been a time where the word hasn't existed. It was never created. It's always been. As God is, so is his word. And for John, the word becomes flesh and blood. See what he's talking about here. The word is Jesus. He's describing Jesus as the word of God. If we, if we replace word with the name Jesus, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Jesus is the word of God. God is the source of all things. Jesus is the creative force that has spoken into this world and is changing everything. See, he wants us to get back to this truth of who he is, who God is, what is he like. The word, or Jesus, is the very nature of, Christ, of God. You want to understand the creator. If you want to understand the father, you look to Jesus. It's the way that we mere human beings can understand this whole thing. By understanding Jesus. That, that, that God is not just out there somewhere hanging out. He doesn't care. He's uninvolved. No, no, Jesus came in the flesh. He died, he rose, he lived, he taught. This is how we understand God. It's not just a bunch of, of good ideas or rules that we have to follow. This is, this is, we're talking about a man, a historical person who walked this earth and showed us, revealed to us the Father in all of his beauty, in all of his grace, in all of his mercy, God wants to us to understand him 
and so he sent his son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You see, God and Jesus, they're not like identical. They're not like this. They're not, they don't look alike. They are one and the same. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. And I understand that that's confusing, and it should be. But there are some things within church that we will not understand, and we take those things by faith. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. There's no difference between the two. They are one and the same. They're not, they're, and yet they, they, they stay separate. It's beginning to un, unleash the Trinity idea. And if you can explain that to me, I give you this church. <laughs> but this is why Jesus Christ is not an optional component of the revelation of God. Because if you reject Jesus, you reject God. If you reject Jesus, you reject the Father because they are one and the same. Jesus is not an option. Jesus is not optional <laughs> because of who he is. And I know we like to have options. We all like options. If we don't, I mean, just think about our world and, and just think like clothes and, and shoes and cars and food and all of these options that we have. We like options. And if, and if things don't have options for us, we kind of just, we kind of ignore them or become frustrated with them. I mean, how many children like to hear, it's my way or the highway? No, children like options. How many of you like to pay income tax? Now, I know there, there is an option that you don't pay, but that's not a good option. The government wins. And so we become frustrated when there's nothing, there's no other option. But I'm telling you, man, Jesus is not a, a, a add-on. He is the main thing. Because if we reject him, we reject God. But Jesus doesn't come, well, Jesus came to take, but he didn't come to take our money or our happiness. Jesus came to take our sin. He came to take our shame. And then he wants to give us life. He came to take the darkness and he wants to give us life, abundant life. Jesus wants to give us wholeness and healing. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now the writer is going to kind of change and shift a little bit. He's, he went, he's going to talk about, he, he presently or previously talked about the relationship between God and Jesus. Now he wants to explain the relationship between Jesus and all of creation. All things have come into this world through him. It all has to do with him. The Father is the source. Jesus is that creative force. All of this that we see came into being by Christ. And again, I know that's, that's, that's hard to get our mind around, but there are certain things that are going to be remained a mystery, that are gonna be, uh, remain a mystery. Certain things that science is not going to prove, mathematics cannot prove. Now don't get me wrong, I do believe that science 
proves the existence of God, even more than we, some Christians like to admit. That's just me. You can argue with me. So what? Uh, so, but, but I believe, it, but there's certain things that are going to remain in the context of mystery because if we can understand it all, if we had a full understanding of who God is, he doesn't, he's not God anymore. He's just something that we have created. All things have come in the, into existence by Jesus. Everything. And, and, and not only that, check this out in Colossians. Paul's writing this letter to this church. He says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And it goes on to say that, that uh, it's his pleasure. Everything was created for, for his pleasure. So not only were things created, all things have been created, but everything has been created because Jesus found pleasure in creating that. Now let me explain what that means. You are here on this earth because God has found pleasure in you being here. God has created you because you are loved and he is happy with you. Now, he might not be happy with some of the things you do, some of the things you say, yeah, okay, get that, but he loves you, and it's by his pleasure that he has created you. And because of that, you have value beyond what you can never understand. You have value beyond what the world prescribes to you. Your value doesn't come in your job or your bank account or your house or whatever the world might look at as valuable. Your value comes solely by you have been created in the image of God, period. And because of that, you have no idea how much value you hold. All things, and not only is there pleasure in God for creating us, but all things are held together. Jesus right now is holding everything that we need to live together. You don't explode into dust right now because Jesus is holding you together. I know some of you might have lost it in the past, but we're, not we're talking about big loss. Like, boom, you're gone loss. Jesus holds it together. Physics works because Jesus holds it together. He holds all things together. That is the power of God. And that is his display of love for his church and his people, his creation, every single day. It, see, Jesus holds together those who deny him. Jesus holds together those who would curse him. Jesus held together those who put him on the cross. No greater love is there than that, that he would love his enemies. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 36 different times in John's gospel, he uses this word life. It's the word in the Greek called zoe. And it doesn't mean just my heart's beating and my lungs are taking in air. It means passion and fullness and vitality. It's that thing that, that gets you out of bed in the morning if you're excited about something. It's the thing that you feel as you, as you watch a sunset in the mountains or if you watch a sunrise, if you're that kind of person, uh, come up in the morning. I, Sandy and I went away last weekend and we went up to Mount Washington and uh, I inhaled clouds as they were coming across. the. And I know that, you know, it's 
technically fog, but no, at 6,288 feet, that's a cloud, okay? And, and so I'm, I'm inhaling clouds, and I'm looking as the clouds are breaking, and I'm just looking at, at miles and miles and miles, uh, hundreds of miles, and I'm thinking, oh, that's the life that, 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 that Jesus has come to give, that, that feeling of, of woe, that feeling of fullness. It doesn't come by coincidence. It's a taste of heaven that's available through the love of God through Christ. And that life is the light of all mankind. Remember in the beginning, Genesis, God creates and he speaks light into the chaos, this goodness, this sacredness, this divine thing. Maybe we can read this verse in another way, that the life was the goodness of all mankind. See, any goodness in the world is of Jesus. Any goodness in the world is of Jesus. All people, and it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, it doesn't matter uh, what you believe, if you show mercy, if you work for justice, if you show grace, it's, it's of God. It can't be separated from him. It can't exist outside of him. Goodness did not originate by itself. It comes from God. He has bestowed it upon his creation. It's a good word, huh? Bestowed. Now, for you church folk, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about goodness and kindness and something that we call love. The scriptures tell us that God is love. Not that he created it, not that he shows us it, which he does, but that he is love. And so anytime any person shows kindness, forgives and keeps no record of wrong, is patient, that is biblical love and that is of God. And I know that doesn't make things nice and tidy and and all black and white, but but it's the truth. And again, this is the mystery of the cross and, and of Christ and of who he is. Everything is created by him, for him, and for his pleasure. Jesus, I'm telling you this, Jesus is at work everywhere. I pray that we have eyes to see. I pray that we have ears to hear. And any goodness that a person engages in or does, no matter what they believe, is of God. And it's God's desire that people would recognize where that comes from. It's his desire that by faith, we would look to the creator and not the creator by pressing in by faith in Jesus Christ because there is the light of life. There is the light of life. And when we have that faith in Christ, that light within us, It burns and shines brighter and brighter and brighter into the darkness. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, God spoke light into the darkness and that light is still present. It's present in the followers of Jesus Christ, this this, this thing that it's, it's hard to describe. But you know, we can, the darkness is still here. Watch the news. Read the paper. The world is a, is a dark place. It always has been. We just have instant access to news. But the light shines in the darkness. 
We see darkness in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in, in our families. We see, we see darkness within ourselves. No one's perfect. We all fail, we all stumble, we all fall. But the light shines in the darkness, not into the darkness. The light is not from the outside shining into it. The light shines in the darkness. That, that light of Christ by faith is, is here and it shines into the darkness of my heart and of my soul. And see, just a little bit of light, no matter how dark the dark is, just a little bit of light disrupts the darkness. The way of light, the way of that sacred, divine, created, day one light is the way of Jesus. And the church is a gathered group of ragtag Jesus followers and we represent that light. It's not perfect. Church will never be perfect. I mean, we have a pretty close to perfect church, but other churches aren't so good. Um, <laughs> I slay me. Uh, we're, we're, we're human, we make mistakes, we're hypocrites, we hurt people, we stumble in our words, we stumble in our actions, but we all possess that light of Christ by faith in him. We all possess that light of Christ by faith in him. And as we gather, as the church gathers, as each individual comes with that light, we begin to shine brighter into the darkness. We stand brighter together than just as individuals out there. And that's why I believe with all my heart that church is important. We leave a bigger footprint in this world together than we do just by ourselves. Now don't get me wrong, we all need to shine this Jesus light out into the world wherever we are, whatever we're doing. But don't forsake the gathering together because Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. We are taking part in a stream of sacredness and holiness that has been celebrated for thousands of years. And we want to invite other people into it. Not so we could get a new building or I can finally get that Harley Davidson that I've been trying to get every year and I forgot to buy my ticket this year so they gave it to somebody else who probably didn't deserve it. But I digress after all that. I'm saying that we, we want to make sure that people understand that there is wholeness and healing and reconciliation because of Jesus, because of this light that shines in the dark. The darkness will not overcome it. Jesus wins. He has won. Ultimately, he comes back and he wins big time. But we don't ever have to doubt the darkness is going to win. It feels like it's going to win. I know, I know, just in the news this morning, what happened in, in New York. The darkness seems really dark, but the church stands as a light in the darkness. Jesus came. Jesus lived on this earth as, as a man. He died a physical, horrible death. 
so that sin would not prevail, so that the darkness would not win, and so that we, by faith in him, could be forgiving. By putting our faith in Christ, his work, by putting our faith in the cross, we have been reconciled back to God. You understand what that means? When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't see that dumb thing you said, that stupid thing you did, that horrible thing that you used to do. He doesn't see that anymore. He sees the perfection of Jesus. And when you can get a hold of that, when you can begin to understand that, I guarantee you will live a very different life. Not in this sense of striving and earning and trying and, and, and hurry up and hurry up and I gotta get this together, I gotta get it right. No, no, no. Just in this place of going, Ugh. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're never gonna say another stupid thing again or do something stupid or even do something horrible. But no, you're forgiven. And yes, there's consequences to our stupidity. But God is even gonna give us grace to work through those things because of the light of life by faith in Christ. We are always gonna be a church. As long as I'm pastor here, we will always be a church where it's okay not to be okay. And, and I don't say that as just some cliche or some really cool Christianese thing. Uh, if, if I ever go to put that on a t-shirt, somebody please kick me. Might be on a coffee mug. But anyway, not, not a t-shirt. Um, we will always be a church where it's okay not to be okay. But we are a church that we understand the love of God. We understand the sacrifice of Jesus. And we know that that's not where God wants us to stay. He doesn't want us to stay broken and just surviving. He wants us to thrive in this life. He wants us to be joyful in this life. That's why Jesus came, for, for, our, for our joy. It's his pleasure that you've been created, not so you can just kind of trudge through life like you're feeling like you're, you're walking through mud up to your chest. No, that's not why he came. He came to bring light and life and goodness. He wants you restored he wants you whole. He wants us healed. And Jesus is the only way toward that. Jesus is the only way toward that. Starting next Wednesday, and for 11 weeks after that, we're going to do an alpha course. And it explores this thing we call Christianity. I want to encourage you, if you're wrestling with this whole Jesus thing, if maybe there's things you don't understand or, or if there's things that you don't believe or you doubt, man, Alpha's the thing for you. If you doubt anything, I want you to come. Let's talk about it. It's okay. You, you can doubt. I mean, I know I'm always right, but, but it's okay. And let's talk about it. Let's figure this thing. We're, we're, just, we're just trying to figure this thing out, this thing called life. Nobody has got it together. Look around. Do we look like we got it together? And that's the beauty of church. It's the beauty of Jesus. He makes the wise look kind of dumb, and he makes the dumb wise. And as we just kind of move through this year, remember, like, 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 ask God, who is it? Who is it that needs to know the good news? Who is it that needs healing? Who is it? God? Show me. And then begin the conversation. Invite people to church. 
Because it's not the end, but it's a means to understanding who God is, who Christ is, and we grow together. Together we shine brighter in the darkness than we can by ourselves. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have, for the, the grace that you show. Thank you for Jesus. Let us just remember the simplicity of this gospel, this good news message. And let us be light that shines into the darkness. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in that, that precious name of your son. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Uh, let's eat.